You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. Hey listeners, today we are doing our final episode on the Overcoming Obstacles mini-series. We're bringing all of our interviewees together for a panel discussion on advice to students with undocumented and documented conditions. Welcome, Catherine, David, and Richard. Can you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Catherine Seaton. I am doing my PhD in the UK at the University of East Anglia, and my condition is ME, and so that's short for myalgic encephalomyelitis, and also known as chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, I suffer a lot from physical and mental fatigue, which gets worse on exertion. My name is David Payne. Uh, I went to grad school at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and I have uh, what's called aphantasia, uh, which means I lack a mind's eye. Uh, when I close my eyes, it's just black, and I can't picture a red triangle or my mother's face or anything. For me, uh, imagination is all textual. I think about the words, but I don't see anything. I'm Richard Mankin. I uh, graduated from the University of Florida, and I'm still in Gainesville, Florida after many years. I, I graduated in 1979, so that's been a long time. I, I was born missing a lot of muscles, particularly in, in my legs and arms, and so that, that means that I, I have to walk with uh, braces and crutches there's other things I, I, I can't do. I'm, I'm still, still learning what I actually can and can't do after, after all these years. So here is the first question that we're thinking about overcoming challenges, which is what would you advise a new graduate student that is facing a challenge out of their control? I'll give a circuitous answer because for one thing, I don't really feel like I ever overcame my disability. And the other thing is, I, I don't really think that my challenges in graduate school so much were mostly disability related. They, they were mostly related to understanding the universe well enough to like fit in and figuring out how to do the workarounds that you needed to do, irrespective of whether you were disabled or not to uh to get to get stuff done that you need to get done if a person is working on their phd and they have an intractable problem that they can't seem to solve then i would say the best thing to do is to move the goalpost and change change what you're doing so that you can just get the degree and move on because your real goal in life is to get the degree, go out and get a, a postdoc or a real job somewhere and get paid a lot more money to to do the same kinds of same kinds of work, but just get paid more money for it. And you're still you're still gonna be overwhelmed constantly with problems that you can't solve because that is part of being a scientist. Hindsight is a great thing. Um, so I'm still doing my PhD and I feel like I've had lots of problems um, that I have overcome but not necessarily as well as I could have 
um, partly because I found it really hard to open up and actually say that I was struggling. When I applied for my PhD, I, I always had it in my head that like there'd be people out there that were better than me that didn't have the same restrictions as me. So I didn't want to show any sign of weakness because I managed to actually get the PhD itself. I wanted to prove myself. But I think it's really good to know that everyone's different, like disability or no disability. Everyone works at different rates. They work better at different times. And I think you just need to accept that you'll be different to your peers, um, just as they'll be different from each other as well. And you really need to um, open up say when you're struggling there are there are alterations that can be made or help that can be given and you just need to have like the, the courage to kind of say wait I'm not okay and they they've chosen you for your ability as a scientist your knowledge like they they know full well that you have a disability and you shouldn't feel like you should hide the aspects that are really um that that you're really struggling with they should be understanding and want to help you um, reach your full potential. What would you say to people who don't have a disability or a condition to get them to understand your experience better? Yes, um, I think that's a really difficult question. Um, one that I probably don't necessarily have the best answer for. Um, people always compete with one another in academia and it needs to be more of like a friendly working environment so say if you are having difficulties and can't work certain times um or you have to go home early people need to kind of understand that you're doing your best and that should all only be what's expected of you like to work your hardest within your own limits because i always feel like say if i have to leave it early um, to go home and have a nap or because I know that in if I stay like half an hour longer in work I'm not going to be well enough to drive home I always feel like I'm, I'm kind of being judged when I leave and there's still the rest of the lab group there so I think it's just like that needs to be accepted that everyone has their own optimum working habits um, so that that's the thing that I've found the hardest in terms of like acceptance. I thought Kathy had some e excellent points, probably probably better better than uh, any answer I could come up with. But I would like to pick up a point that Kathy identified and that is academia is very competitive. And this is this is something that I have uh, agonized about for many, many decades. With, without a real good answer, because the fact is that although a lot of academics are competitive, not every academic is. For example, me, I am definitely not a competitor. I have always wanted desperately to work with other people on a project uh, that's kind of a higher goal that we all agree that we all need to work on and we're not competing with each other to do that. So, so part of my answer would be, you need also to pick the people you want to work with, uh, because it didn't take me long to recognize that I did not want to work with the big competitors. And I wanted to work with people who 
actually had higher goals than than just getting accolades or doing whatever they wanted to do. And there's plenty of people out there like that. I so I, I think it really comes down to creating a, a culture of empathy among scientists. You know, as as Richard said, we're very competitive not necessarily by our personal nature, but by nature of our business. Uh, there's only so many dollars to fund so many experiments. And I think it's easy in that environment to, to let go of empathy and to, to just think about who's winning and who's losing. But I think uh, celebrating each other's victories, even when we aren't the one who won, and, and uh, mourning when other people don't win and being a, a good sport about getting a grant when someone else didn't. I, I think things like that will help us sort of foster a, a more empathetic group. And that in turn helps us to understand people whose experience is different than ours, whether it's, you know, because of a disability or because of a different background or, or whatever reason. How can academia, but there is also industry, better assist people with visible or invisible conditions that present as obstacles to do science? David, you want to start? Sure. Um, I, I think I'm in kind of a unique position because the, the thing that makes me weird and different, I think, is really interesting. And, and Megan and I talked about that when I was on earlier. I love talking about it because I think it's neat. And I think as a scientist, I am very interested and most scientists I've talked to about it have been really interested because it's something so far out of their experience. And, and as scientists, we're sort of curious in nature. I think what I have seen is that people who talk about what makes them different and what makes a special challenge for them or, or whatever the case may be, tend to get more understanding and more help. And so I think if we can treat these things not as like uh, shameful things, but as interesting, at least for me, this doesn't work for everybody, but as an interesting academic exercise, I can talk to people about how weird my brain is and how I don't recognize people who I've met over and over. Being able to talk about it, I think, is the first thing. Oh, it's interesting, David, that the thing you brought up, because uh, I, I didn't know this until, until way into adulthood, but I also have trouble uh, visualizing uh, pictures and stuff. I can't really do that. But I never even knew it until people started talking about it and wondering why I couldn't visualize a lot of that stuff. But I've, I've never felt particularly, and, and, and I guess uh, I brought this up earlier, I never felt that my disability did anything except make it initially difficult to get in the door with people. That once, once I was around doing stuff, it, it became clear that as, as long as I came up with new ideas and helped other people implement the new ideas that, that they were very glad to have me around and, uh, and, and I kept getting paid to do things. So, so I never felt like the disability was uh, an issue. It, okay, so I, I'm not so much of a talker, although it may not come across that way. I, I don't talk much until I so I don't think I've ever tried to to talk my way ar around the, the the issue of getting academia or or for that matter government or or industry to pay more uh, attention to the idea that they need to have persons with 
disabilities in their uh, operations in, in order to spice their activities up. I, 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 to me, that's one of the big things. And, and actually, I have found that, that in my case, a lot of times, the, the part where I have helped the most is to come up with new ideas at, at really difficult times that other people say, oh yeah, let's do this. And so we all work on it together. And, and, and that's how I've managed to stay getting paid all these years. But that was partly because I was already around. When you go to like hire people, I think that the hiring authorities know this already. And the societies uh, like uh, AAAS and uh, uh, the Entomological Society, in my case, because I'm an entomologist, uh, know these things and try to encourage diversity. But the average run-of-the-mill scientist pays very little attention to it and will looks for specific specific qualities or specific skills, mostly skills even, in a, in a person that they hire as opposed to trying to look specifically for someone who's going to come up with some new ideas. And, and also, I think there, there needs to be a bigger effort to get people into the pipeline. I mean, I, I pushed myself into the pipeline. There, there, was, no, there was no helping me out. <laughs> I started way, way before they started doing diversity things. Is what you're saying is that there is existing bias within the hiring pipeline right now? Could oh, it's, it's always going to be that way. That's never going to change. What you have to do is get people who are receptive to the idea that, that, that maybe diversity is of value in, in group environments as opposed to just someone specifically brought in to do a specific task, that there's only a few people who actually ever believe that. And, and you, need, you need to make sure that they're aware of it at the time they're hired. I don't say anything about um, the fact that I've got ME. People can probably tell that there's something a, a little bit off about me, but they'll, they'll just assume that like, I'm like slow or stupid or so I, I do kind of find that in work sometimes if I'm not at my full brain um, processing capacity if I've got like meetings with people I can come across as I don't, I don't even know what I, I come across as um, it's, it's, I, I walk away quite feeling quite ashamed and embarrassed because it's not you're not necessarily encouraged I have had kind of people that understand more and then once they do understand and um, because I, I, I feel pressure um, from like academia um, to keep going all the time and keep working and it's really good when you have people that know you and they say look you're not very well you're not going to do anyone any favours staying in um, you need to take time out um, you need to do what's best for you and that's really good like when when people get to know you so it's not necessarily having people that can speak on my behalf but it's people that can understand when I'm struggling and um, I find that that's really helped 
Do you guys have any personal take-home messages about overcoming obstacles for people who are listening to us? So my take-home message would be uh, one of encouragement, basically. I think science is uh, very hard to do, and, and also I'm not very good at it, but, but I enjoy trying hard. And, uh, and I think it can be a rewarding career. It's been a very rewarding career to me. I, I think essentially I was a person who had to be a scientist because I was just born with way more curiosity than I could hold in my head. And, uh, and so I wanted to explore the universe and dis- discover what was going on. And I've been able to do largely that all my life and work with other people who enjoyed doing the same thing. And I, I can guarantee that there's very few people out there who, who are really interested in science. So, so I've been very lucky to meet a whole bunch of other people who were very interested in science of different kinds. And uh, I, I think the thrill of discovery is, is about the best, the best thing that you, you can have happen to you in, in a career. And that's happened to me several times, fortunately. And uh, uh, having a disability does not keep you from, from enjoying that. So, so good luck. <laughs> Um, I hope that the noise in the background isn't too much. Uh, I apologize. Um, so I guess my, my personal take home is that everybody has stuff that makes their life or their job harder. And whether it's whether you know you call yours a disability or whether you call it three kids who poke their heads in when you're trying to podcast, uh, you know everybody's got challenges. And so I guess we'll each need a different and unique way to do our jobs, right? We can't all do it the way that our mentor did it or the way that our colleagues do it. We have to find what works for us. You know, when I was on uh, for my individual uh, talk, I talked about some of the things that I do that everybody else would think are weird um, for the people who weren't on there. Uh, just briefly, I, I have real trouble remembering faces because I can't see them in my head. And so when there's someone at a conference who I need to meet, I describe them out loud to myself uh, before I go. I sit and look at a picture of them, which is a really weird thing to do, but it works for me and it helps me. And you need to find the things that work for you. Following on from what David said, um, I think it's really important to really like dig deep and work out what obstacles you have and like the specifics of them because you're not going to be able to overcome an obstacle unless you really understand it so you need to like kind of accept it and then think of ways around that and then if you can do that by yourself that's great and if you need the help from others you shouldn't be afraid to ask um, and kind of just explain to them and say like you're really enthusiastic um, about it and you, you really want to be able to do whatever it is like go to a conference or do a certain experiment or understand something but it might just take you a bit longer or a less mainstream route in order to go about doing that they don't necessarily understand but they should understand and appreciate the fact that you just like anyone else you want to learn and find out more things and that's that's the thing about academia and science especially is that there's always more to learn and you find that as you know more you realize that there's more that you don't know so i i think 
scientists should appreciate the fact that like there's always more to learn and that they need to help you actually have access to that Thank you. They were all like very good take-home messages. So, so it was a tough subject for us to prepare, and we are not sure that we asked the right questions. So, um, so do you think that we that we were asking the right questions? And are there implicit assumptions in our questions that we didn't took into consideration? Well, Can I just add? Please yeah. feel free to be honest here. Uh, critical feedback is important for us as well as our listeners. Uh, I'll I'll start since the start when I was asked. Been curious about how what uh, might come out of this would would be helpful to other graduate students and for for my own self since I haven't been a a graduate student for for forty years almost. I, I was surprised that there was any interest in what a person my age might have an idea that would help out graduate students. So I, I'm wondering, have you really felt like you've learned anything from working with the disabled people that will, will help the overall goal of, of what you were doing with, with these? I guess this is an experiment for you all. <laughs> so... So yeah, so I, well, I definitely learn. Uh, I learned a lot with this topic, and uh, and even with like this discussion today with all of you. So as you mentioned, for us it's really important to to try to ask questions to scientists from all around the world with different stages in their life, because even if you don't necessarily understand why we interview you as a senior scientist, you have a lot of experience. And as you say, you don't talk so much about life maybe with your students right now. You talk more about work. But nevertheless, we felt that uh, with Megan that we were missing this part in our grad school to talk about how we are supposed to deal with all of that, that feelings, with all of our challenges. And we were meeting each other to talk about it. But we felt that we needed to like talk with other people more in general. And so that's how we came up with this podcast, to, to talk about different topics and see what other people came up with in, uh, along their life or today and how it can inspire us to do a better work as a scientist. Um, I can add now um, to the question that we got asked. Um, I found that when I was um, asked to do this podcast and the questions I saw as well, I felt like I w- it, it was more, I was trying to provide a solution when I haven't necessarily provided like an answer for myself yet. So I'm hoping that by like participating in this, that people don't necessarily have all the answers about how to make it more inclusive, but that by hearing different people's perspectives and different people's obstacles, they can kind of like, really get an appreciation and understand how how difficult it can be for other people so yeah so in terms of like being able to adjust academia and industry tomorrow and um, in in order to make it better for everyone and more inclusive for everyone I don't have the answer to that because I think it's going to take time and I think the best place to start is to really just like listen 
and ask questions like for people if they do have um a disability or their own personal obstacle just ask questions and like find out how how they're affected and whether there's anything that you can do to help or whether they like to be asked questions about it or whether they like they like to be treated like the same as everyone else it's really just like it's individual to everyone and i i guess like there's never going to be like one one size fits all kind of um solution to this richard i'd like to just answer your second question uh, which was, uh, what are graduate students supposed to take away from listening to us? I think a big part of it, and it really ties into uh, Kathy's answer, is to get people to listen, either people who have experienced what you guys have experienced or have not, and really drive empathy among graduate students. Graduate students are future industry leaders, future academic leaders, and if they have empathy then maybe we can actually improve, you know, we talked about earlier, hiring and improving diversity. And maybe if people are aware of these things, they can consider them when hiring. Um, so that's, that's really the main point. Uh, David, do you want to take us home? Yeah, sure. So, so to your question about, uh, as I understood your question, it was, the questions that we were asked as as panelists or whatever, what did they reveal about your implicit biases? Is that a fair summation of your question? Yeah, kind of. Like, so, if, if we did it, yeah. Right, right. I think we all have implicit biases and we all let them show uh, in ways that we don't expect. And I'm sorry, Megan, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but I will give an example that involves you. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good. My friend, you don't belong under the bus. Um, but I... I thought it was interesting in, in the phrasing that you used, and we talked about this when you asked me these questions uh, sort of offline before we started, you used the word disability. And I think that to me, when I, when I thought about that and why it sort of rubs me the wrong way a little bit when, when people call lots of things disabilities, we have this desire as, as humans to be very binary and especially as scientists, right, to be very black and white and say, Everybody at 51% is fine. Everybody at 49% is disabled. And there is no gray. There's just, there's just those two categories. Uh, when really we all exist on sort of a continuum of obstacle and struggle. And, and the reason I think that's important is that you can see somebody who's being very successful, who's doing a really good job, and not recognize that they are just barely squeaking by because they have learned to cope with whatever is, is difficult for them. And I think that also then feeds into like imposter syndrome that uh, I, as someone who has gone through periods where I've been less successful, look at somebody who's going through a period of being very successful. And I think, boy, they're, they're on that 51% side and I'm on the 49% side. And there is just no way that we could be the same when really we're, we're just very different people who might not, who, who might exist at slightly different places on that continuum. Does that make any sense? Sorry. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. And I appreciate you throwing me under the bus. Thank you very much for participating. And we really appreciate you taking the time to share your stories and answer our questions. That was, uh, that was great. Thanks for listening to Secret Life of a Graduate Student. 
Next week, we start a new mini-series on taking time before grad school. If you like us, show it. Hit the like and subscribe button. And also, give us a follow on Twitter. Till next time, bye!